Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Find out what happens if CUPE education workers strike on Monday. How high is too high in Hamilton? Up-and-coming Hamilton musician Spencer McKenzie joins us. The Argos will try to spoil Winnipeg's quest for a Grey Cup three-peat. And we bring you to the Winter Festival of Lights in Niagara Falls. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. I'm, I'm hoping we're not. We, we're all hoping we're not. We want to be at the table talking and we're certainly at the ready. Um, we're just waiting for that phone call. I've got a mandate and I've got a job. It's to get a deal with QP. We've done it before. I've done it before with this union working with the same mediator three years ago. So it can be done. Those are the voices of CUPE's Todd Canning and Education Minister Stephen Lecce. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick waking you up on a Friday morning. It is another weekend ahead of uncertainty for students and parents as a possible strike by education workers looms. Now, as you probably know, this is the second walkout in just a couple of weeks by CUPE's 55,000 education workers, which include uh, educational assistants, uh, early childhood educators, custodians, librarians. So what is the contingency plan here in Hamilton? Don Danko is the chair of the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Don, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. That word uncertainty must not be a good feeling. It is not, uh, particularly when you look at what we've gone through in education over the past two and a half years. Uh, every time we hear that word, uh, we hear, you know, a possibility of remote learning. Uh, people just go back to what happened during COVID, um, where we had prolonged periods of disruption for students. And we know that students, they, they have suffered the impacts of many disruptions to their learning. So it is our great hope that the parties that we heard at the dating of your show are really committed to getting a deal and we can see um, the strike action averted. So what is the plan for Monday? So at HWDSB, the public board, uh, schools will be closed to in-person learning on Monday, and students will have the opportunity to do synchronous online learning um, on that day. There won't be a transition day this time. Um, so we will have classroom educators ready to support students, including those who need special education uh, support through remote learning. Uh, that may look a little different than maybe what was experienced in the pandemic, but uh, there will be that connection point and, and that synchronous time with an educator. We also know that we have uh, child care centers, including those for children from birth to age um, just under four before JK. <clears throat> those will be open on a modified schedule. So it's really important for families that do use daycare in our schools and our child care centers um, that they look to see what that modified schedule will be. It aligns with the, the school bell times. If we were uh, taking advantage of before and after school care, that is cancelled, as well as any recreation programs that would be happening at our schools. Um, the other thing that, that matters to, to families if we talk about remote learning is device access. And we know that not all, all of our families do have devices at home or have internet at home. We are going to start gathering information on Monday to potentially de deploy devices, but we will be looking to do that as quickly as possible. And again, this plan is only going to be put in place if a strike does occur on Monday, and we're hearing that 5 p.m. Sunday is the deadline to figure out whether or not this is going to happen. Exactly. Like our great hope is that we will not have to, to put this contingency plan into place. We know how disruptive that is for families, for students, uh, how stressful it is for staff. But we also uh, saw a clear support for workers' rights and, and our QP workers that are very important in our system do have the right to strike. 
But again, I'm very hopeful that there is there is a willingness to work together, um, as we've seen over the past week. Um, that they're they're at the table. So I'm I'm hopeful if there's a willingness to find it to get to a deal, we will have a deal before Monday. Yes, we are all hoping for that. Uh, whether we have a child in school or not, the disruption is certainly evident in in the faces, and I'm sure the reaction from parents and students. What what feedback did you get from them after the first walkout a couple of weeks ago? It was interesting. The first walkout, although uh, we're not keen to have students out of school for any length of time, uh, people were not really interested in remote learning. They said, just give the kids a few days off, not really understanding how long that could have taken. But what we heard the first time was that um, the the government really, really overstepped and and was removing workers' rights with Bill 28. Um, So that support led to the the repealing of the bill. Um, It basically is like it never happened, and that's where they basically ordered them back to work and removed their right to strike and did not go to binding arbitration. So all of those things combined. Um, At the same time, people are concerned about our students, and this is a disruption for any family and any staff who has students in the system, it, it disrupts the workforce. So we understand how challenging this is, um, but I would say we, we still see firm support for QP workers and just for workers' rights in general um, and wanting to see a fair deal. We have one more minute with Don Danko, chair of the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. QP and the province seem to have some sort of an agreement in terms of a wage increase, which is fine, but obviously the union is now... Um, demanding that there be higher staff levels. I don't want you to pick sides because you don't want to be in that position, but I'm sure that would be beneficial for students in class. Well, and it's interesting because we have to remember that QP is bargaining on behalf of different worker groups. And at at HWDSB, we're talking about custodians and maintenance workers. And we saw how important those workers were during the pandemic when we had pants cleaning and if you look at uh, the levels of illness that we're seeing going around now, that enhanced cleaning is still critical. Um, but for other wards, we're talking about education assistance. We're talking about DECEs or early education workers. So I think um, it may depend on which worker group we're talking about. But when we want to support students in schools, any increases in personnel and actual staff support does make a positive difference. Don, I always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today, and fingers crossed when it comes to Monday. Thank you, Rick. Don Danko is the chair of the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. For the government's part, we should mention that Education Minister Stephen Lecce has said that the government has put forward multiple improved offers and has not asked for any concessions. Despite that, we find ourselves in a situation in which Monday could be another non-school day, at least in school for thousands of kids across this province, including those in Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, Hamilton's urban sprawl debate has been a major topic in 2022. We haven't heard much about vertical sprawl in the city. So the question is, how high is too high in Hamilton? Rob Golfie is a sales representative, Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfie team, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Rob, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Um, not only did the Ford government make some greenbelt lands available for new housing as we as we build outwards, it also wiped out Hamilton's 30-story height limits. So what do you think is going to be the impact that that will have on Hamilton? Um, well, with developers, I'm sure they're loving it because it actually, they make more money when they can go higher with uh, the number of floors that they build, you know, if they're going to 35 stories or, or 40 stories, it just depends. Um, it, it actually could 
decrease the price of a condo when people are purchasing. Um, I, I don't know if there's an effect, um, you know, with the height requirements. I know they want they didn't want to do 30 stories or more because of the escarpment, but I don't think it's going to really block, you know, the bay or, or um, the view of anybody on top of the escarpment. I think we need it. Uh, you know, they're, they're look, the population growth in uh, Hamilton is going to grow rapidly in the next uh, 10 to 20 years. So they've got to do something. Otherwise, they're going to have to open up more Greenbelt down the road. There are several uh, condo tower projects underway. We have one at the West Harbor, which is going to be 45 stories high. There's a 34-story condo at James and Jackson that's being developed. Two 32-story buildings at the former CHCH headquarters. How high is too high in Hamilton? Well, I don't think we'll see 100 stories. <laughs> I, that's, that's Toronto. But I, I think once we hit um, 45 stories, I think you're going to see people trying to push the limit even higher, depending on the demand. But uh, I, don't, I don't think that's that's now, but I could see that happening in 10 years uh, from now when uh, there's other projects happening. The population is growing rapidly. Um, people will always push the limit because obviously... Uh, there's more money for the developer. And and again, like I said, it, it could be cheaper um, purchases for uh, the consumer if they're purchasing uh, the um, a condo. But there, there's also a, a part of it that you only can build so many parking spots in these condo uh, developments. So, you know, in Hamilton is a little different than it is in Toronto. Toronto, you can get away without having a car. But in Hamilton, you still need a car uh, if you're living in the downtown area to, to, you know, to work, if you work in Toronto or downtown uh, or anywhere in, in the Hamilton area. Um, it, it, I know they're bringing the LRT from the uh, east end, Stony Creek, there to uh, downtown. But uh, there's only so many parking spots you can uh, do, uh, do in these condo developments. So that's also a restriction. That can also limit them on height wise. It depends on how big the the property is. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Rob Golfy, sales representative, Remax's Scartman Realty, the Golfy team. We'll be talking about this topic on tomorrow's Golfy Real Estate Show, Hamilton Edition. You can hear it Saturdays at 9, right here on 900 CHML. Um, towers in Dundas or Ancaster, maybe even Stony Creek, don't really make a lot of sense to me. What about you? Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I, I think there's uh, in Ancaster, it's a is a three story uh, uh, height uh, limit that they have. Yeah, uh, I know they're trying to bring in an eight story uh, height limit, but I think it's a little little tall for uh, for that area. We got enough um, a property right within the downtown core that we can build a lot of high rises that we don't need to affect uh, like Dundas, Ancaster, um, even, um, you know, Stony Creek, maybe along the uh, uh, service road, you know, we're um, like, like Grimsby in uh, Casablanca right. there. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a whole community being built there, but I, I would try to keep that away um, as much um, with high towers, 30 stories in, uh, in, the, in the smaller communities around Hamilton. We got one more minute. You have a float in tomorrow's Santa Claus parade here in Hamilton. Tell us about it. Yeah, we have a float. We uh, we uh, uh, built the float and uh, it's got a little house on it with lights on it. It's at Santa's workshop. Uh, we're going to be uh, in the Hamilton parade uh, uh, tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're excited about it. We had a lot of fun building it and uh, we're, we're looking forward to uh, to be into uh, the parade. The question is, is the house on the float sold? 
The house on the boat. Uh, that one we're gonna keep for a while. It's a. It's it's gonna. We're gonna let Santa rent it for a while. There and, you go. Uh, and keep it. Y- use it as it. an investment property. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> Rob, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and good luck in the parade tomorrow. Thank you for having me. Take care. That's Rob Golfie, sales representative. Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfie team. Find out more online, robgolfie.com. And tune in tomorrow for the Golfie Real Estate Show Hamilton Edition. You can hear it every Saturday at 9 in the morning. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Lots of great things happening in this community, that is for sure, including our next story. It's about a student from Mohawk College here in Hamilton, one of seven Music Counts Accelerate Scholarship recipients from across the country. So what does that mean, and who is it? Well, Spencer McKenzie is our next guest, a musician, I would say musician extraordinaire, according to some, and he's at Mohawk, and he's now a recipient of one of these scholarships. Spencer, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fantastic. So you are a recipient of the Music Counts Accelerate Scholarship. What does it mean? How did this happen? Yeah, so I uh, just a couple months ago graduated from the uh, lovely Mohawk College. Um, (laughs) And how that works is essentially every post-secondary institution, and this is all on their website, by the way, but um, every post-secondary institution in the country uh, gets to pick up to two or three um, people to apply. And then I would say I think six or seven people get accepted. So what it is, is it's a scholarship, but then also it's a mentorship uh, program. So um, for the next two weeks, what they have been doing, they usually do it in person, but now they're doing it online because there's multiple uh, people through different parts of Canada and they bring in industry professionals, some of the best um, in Canada. And we talk about things to further your career and things like that. So it's a really great tool to have while you're finishing up school or on your way out or if you're done, because once you have all this great musical knowledge, you can see what you can do with it. So from a musical standpoint, you're going to be involved in this intensive mentorship experience that you've talked about. What what do you feel that you're going to learn in this process? Well, I'm going to learn a lot of great things. We we learn everything from how to how to deal with managers, booking agents, music law, things like that. I'm primarily a music performer. I have uh, three albums out. One that just came out this year, "Preach to My Soul," and what I'm primarily learning a lot is how to apply, you know, things like managers or agents or you know, advancing shows or pitching myself for shows I have. Or if I don't already know, if I know how to already do that, then I'm getting some of the best advice in Canada because these people work for major, major companies throughout the country. And it primarily teaches me uh, how to get my music out there in the best way possible. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Spencer McKenzie, one of seven Music Counts Accelerate scholarship recipients from across the country. And the student from Mohawk College is obviously off to bigger and better things. You mentioned, yes, your third album, Preach to My Soul, dropped in August. Uh, Your earlier album, second, was Cold November. And your first album, Infected with the Blues, at the ripe old age of 16. That's unbelievable. Obviously, you've already tasted some success in this program is 
going to launch you into a different stratosphere. What's the game plan? What do you hope to become in the music industry? Well, I really just hope to play my music to as many people as possible. I, I would say I'm a performer. I'm also a teacher and I, I like to, to share whatever I have. But when it comes to, you know, what I want, um, I just want to make as many people as happy as possible by touring with my band, playing shows, and then giving people that experience. I've been playing for about eight or so years already, and uh, I have no intent with slowing down. So this program, uh, it is a mentorship program. It really does mentor you, and it gives me a uh, not only a great plethora of knowledge, but a great boost um, in inspiration. What's the name of the band and, and what is next for you guys? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I from my own band, just called the Spencer McKenzie Band. And uh, we do have a few shows in the fall, winter months. But um, the big news is no official dates uh, can be announced yet. But next year, we're going to be embarking on a European tour. Uh, and, and then later uh, festival seasons as well. But in the uh, springtime, there's going to be a lot of traveling uh, out to Europe, getting the album out, which is uh, so amazing. And as a matter of fact, uh, it's great to have uh, this program as well because I get to ask advice about things like that. That is phenomenal. You're going to light up uh, Europe by storm, I am sure. What is your inspiration when you're writing a song or playing a song? What do you think about? What do you feel? Uh, well, there's there's a lot of things to think about and a lot of things to be inspired by. But I'd say musically, um, I, I'm a blues rock artist, you could say. And I listen to everything from, you know, B.B. King to Albert King, Joe Bonamassa, uh, Gary Clark Jr., Johnny Lang. I, I really have a sweet spot for a lot of those people, uh, even older way older you know guys who did it first like muddy waters things like that um they inspire me to play music every day and uh, as far as lyrics go i mean i just turn on the tv you could see something uh, <laughs> going on in the world right now it, things are crazy um whether or not it's an experience in my life or an experience in someone else's life a lot of the music uh, i actually write is about not maybe so bluntly but is about things going on in the world. Well, I'm sure you are an inspiration already to many, and uh, that will only grow as your career grows, whether it's in Europe or here at home uh, in Hamilton. It's uh, been a, a wonderful thing to see already. Spencer, congratulations on receiving the scholarship, and thanks for the time this morning. Good luck going forward. Thank you very much, Rick. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We'll be following the action Sunday. It's the 109th Grey Cup. It's the Blue Bombers. It's the Argos. And it's Derek Taylor, the voice of Blue Bombers on your radio, CJOB out in Winnipeg. Derek, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited. Anything around Grey Cup time, I'm excited to talk about. First and foremost, everyone wants to know about the health of former Tiger Cat, now Blue Bomber, two-time Grey Cup champion, Zach Caleros. How is that ankle? Uh, well, I was doing the, the Pruder film treatment on him walking off of the airplane yesterday. The, the Bombers, of course, flew in yesterday, and we watched Zach come down the stairs, walk on, you know, the 
slightly icy tarmac to go get his suitcase and looking at his ankle going, is he, is it, is it swollen? Is he wearing something underneath his sock and shoe? Uh, and, and the answer is, I really don't know. He might've been this so, and he might've been wearing that, but it will all know for sure uh, on the first day of practice, right? Cause it's his right foot. Uh, it's the one that he'd plant on back in the pocket. And it's the one he would use to kind of explode off when, you know, the play breaks down and the place breaking down is where Zach is absolutely a superstar. Right. So, so the practice days that we get to see, uh, you know, Wednesday and Saturday, those are going to be the big ones for us of, of what does he look like? And, you know, how likely is it that he'll go? We, we've heard things, but uh, I kind of want to see it for ourselves. The uh, Argonauts are the combatants this year for the Blue Bombers, uh, very different from the past two seasons in which Winnipeg, uh, Winnipeg beat Hamilton in those Grey Cups. What do the Argos bring to the table, and what do you think uh, head coach Mike O'Shea of the Bombers is contemplating as uh, he gets set for Sunday? I, I think the big part would be that defense, right? It's one that forces turnovers, and it's one that even though they don't have Shane Ray up front, they can, they can still get pressure. Jagarek Davis, the guy who's in his sixth straight Grey Cup, is one of those guys who just consistently is among the league leaders in, in getting after the quarterback. Whether sacks or not, he, he gets after the quarterback. And Sean Oakman on the interior is just a, a an absolute monster. And then, oh, in that second level, oh, the linebackers are actually pretty good too. And then in that third level, oh, man, they can force some turnovers. So I think the defense is the one. The offense is, in my mind, it's kind of a it, – it's got a decent ceiling, but it's got a low floor as well. It can – it can go bad for them like that 29-2 loss to Calgary. So I think they're a little less concerned about it and maybe more concerned with, okay, let's see what we can get against this defense and make sure that our offense uh, puts up enough points for us. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Derek Taylor. He's the play-by-play announcer of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on sister station CJOB in Winnipeg. Every game has an X factor, whether that X factor is a massive uh, reason why a team wins or loses um, is different from game in game out. Who would be your X factor or X factors plural for Sunday's game? Uh, In this one, just because of what happened last week and what happened in the first meeting between these two teams, to me, it's the kickers, Mark Leggio for the Bombers and Boris Beattie of the Toronto Argos. In the first matchup, this was back in week number four, Toronto had this great comeback. They scored a touchdown. They're down 23-22, and Beattie missed the convert, which how often does that happen with the game on the line? And that was essentially the end of the game. Uh, the Bombers win. Last week in the Western Final, Mark Leggio, the Bombers kicker, missed two converts, one of them which was returned for a defensive two-point convert and honestly could have swung the game. So Bomber fans are, are watching going, you know, he struggled against BC, struggled against Montreal. He missed a field goal that would have won the game, pretty much a chip shot, and then hit the upright on a field goal that would have forced a second overtime. So Bomber fans kind of come into this one uneasy of, well, what if we need a 44-yard field goal You know, in the fourth quarter? Is it going to happen? What about these points they leave on the board? So uh, to me, the, the kicking game and which guy is going in his place kicking is, is going to be a real big factor. Ticats fans know Grey Cup in Regina all too well. They were last there in 2013 at Old Mosaic Stadium. And weather-wise, well, it was it was a factor all week long, maybe not as much on Grey Cup Sunday. Uh, the weather story, how big of a factor will it play in Grey Cup 109? 
Well, yeah, if you do remember Great Cup 2013, uh, forget the week leading up to the Great Cup game and just kind of remember the Great Cup game. There's there's no reason why, at the moment, the, the forecast for Sunday should affect the game at all. So I think that's fantastic news. If Winnipeg wins, and many people are predicting uh, predicting the Bombers to to accomplish the three-peat, which hasn't been done since Edmonton did it in the early 90s, if the Bombers get it done, should they be considered a candidate for one of the all-time greatest teams? Oh, I think they absolutely have to. Absolutely have to. Because, like you say, 78 to 82, the Edmonton uh, Elks win five straight great cups. Uh, Edmonton won three straight, I believe it was in the 50s. And then you're talking about Queen's University, the University of Toronto. It, it hasn't been done often. So to win three straight great cups, to win 15 games, which is the second highest total ever, in the Canadian Football League, and then to have your quarterback back for next year and the next two years after that, uh, you absolutely have to consider them a dynasty because three straight great caps, three straight titles in any sport uh, just doesn't happen. Like three straight Super Bowls, three straight NBA titles, the, those three straight Stanley Cups, like those things just don't happen. So to me, they absolutely have to be. It has a very defined beginning point with the day Zach Kolaris arrived in 2019 in my mind. But, I mean, three straight titles is an incredible accomplishment. So, uh, as Bomber fans, we all have our fingers crossed that we get to have that debate after Sunday. Yeah, I think it would be a no-brainer if they were to win. They'd be considered one of the all-time greats, especially considering uh, the nature of football in this day and age with players moving from roster to roster and teams changing over from year to year. We know one thing, that Derek Taylor is going to have an awesome call on Sunday, Grey Cup 109. It's the Blue Bombers. It's the Argonauts. Derek, appreciate the time. Best of luck on Sunday. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Sunday's Grey Cup in Regina. Which team are you rooting for in Grey Cup 109? Cindy texted in, simply says Blue Bombers. And another texter writes, Winnipeg Blue Bombers will win the 109th Grey Cup. Argos suck. Well, we know that. That's a fact, isn't it? It is the Bombers. It is the Argonauts. What is going to happen on Sunday? Yeah, I don't like missing practice. I think it's important. Every rep's important you get, whether it's a, a game rep, a practice rep. So uh, from the way that I, I see the game, I see the position, I, th- I think that you should be practicing, so it's, it's tough. That is the voice of now two-time most outstanding player in the Canadian Football League, Zach Calero. So he leads the Bombers to a potential three-peat on Sunday, as in practice the last couple days, but will be, by all accounts, ready to start on Sunday. There's a special announcement that we're going to get here as well, and we'll get it from Ron Foxcroft, the CEO of Fluke Transport, the creator of the Fox 40 Whistle, member of the Order of Canada, former basketball referee, author of 40 Ways of the Fox. Ron Foxcroft joins us now on GMH. Ron, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm up here in, in Regina, and I can tell you, you were here in 2013, when Regina did an amazing job hosting the Grey Cup. Yes. They'll do it again, Rick, but right now it is very cold, very windy, and very snowy. So uh, that may have an effect on on this game. The elements may have an effect on this game, but it is the Grey Cup. 
So it'll it'll be absolutely amazing. I do recall 2013, and one of the lasting memories among the many memories I have of that day and that week, really, is after the game, Rough Riders fans are going nuts, and Coach Sal and I have to walk back from Old Mosaic Stadium to our hotel amongst a throng of green people, uh, knowing that the Ticats had lost and we were kind of somber, but... Uh, those fans made it uh, certainly an interesting walk back to the hotel. And I do remember that all week long it was extremely cold. But game day, the Grey Cup game day, wasn't really that cold. It could have been a lot colder. Too bad the Ticats did not win. But you have a special announcement to make regarding the yes. officiating crew. Well, I am neutral out here, Rick. I am I am cheering for the referees, as I did in 2013. In 2013, if you recall, Hamilton was in the game, and my son, Dave, was a referee. And the very first call in the game went against Saskatchewan. The coach for Saskatchewan was Corey Chamblin, mm-hmm. who used to coach in Hamilton. And he came on the field and said, Dave, that's a Hamilton call. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was neutral obviously because i was cheering for the referees but i sat with um tom hanks who was cheering for the hamilton tiger cats Hmm. so fast forward here we are in regina again doing an amazing job regina is hosting this and uh i'm a proud dad out here Uh, my son dave is the head referee it's been announced by the cfl that he's the head referee on the game and uh our family are delighted we're proud. We're happy. Uh, we can't wait for Sunday. Actually, Rick, on Sunday at 1 o'clock, I was going to watch my son Steve work his 31st season on the Buffalo Bills chain crew at 1 o'clock, and at 6 o'clock, watch Dave, my son, uh, referee. He's in his 21st season, his sixth great cup, referee of the great cup. But, uh, uh, Rick, we are extremely proud and very supportive of the CFL and CFL officials. Let's talk about the pressure that officials face when participating in a championship game, whether it's the Grey Cup or it's the Super Bowl or it's the Stanley Cup Finals. That pressure is real, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's it's no different than the players. And and the Grey Cup is, is a little bit different for the players and for the referees because, A, you have to manage distractions. The, the intensity of the game, obviously, it's, it's a high-level thing. But I'll give you an example, Rick. The halftime show in a CFL game is 15 minutes. And the players and the referees make that adjustment. In 15 minutes, they're ready to go again. The halftime show in the Grey Cup is 40 minutes. That's a huge adjustment for players and for referees. The other thing... If there's a 6 o'clock game, a league game in Hamilton, it kickoff is 6.07. In the Grey Cup, you have many ceremonies take place before the actual kickoff. Uh, you have a ceremonial coin flip. Uh, you have, obviously, the national anthem, which is a heartthrob. That's very important to referees. It, it helps us get into the game. Then you have the snowbirds flying past, you have a ceremonial kickoff, you probably don't kick off until 622. So you have all that pressure. The, the other thing, uh, the referees really have to manage distractions. Their pregame 
in a league game starts the night before. Their pregame in the Grey Cup, including preparation, watching film, watching tendencies of the two teams, the Toronto Argonauts and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, started last night. And will continue today, will continue obviously on Saturday, and then, Rick, tonight, um, we're hosting a very special ceremony for the 25th season. Uh, we present the referees, and there's 11 of them, seven on the field, four backups, with their gray cup rings. And, Rick, this is a very special emotional time because for their families and for their mentors and referees can't make it to the great cup without family support and without mentor support i'll give you an example my son dave has mentors in hamilton uh, dave hutton jake ireland al mccoleman these people are important to all these referees on the field because a ref can't do it alone they're also a team but they need supporters and they need mentors so it's, it's a really intense three or four days right up till kickoff for the Grey Cup referees. It is intense, and they usually do a great job, and I'm not expecting anything less out of Dave and his crew on Sunday. It's going to be a sixth CFL title game, which is pretty doggone special. Fox, thanks for the time today. Enjoy the game and enjoy Regina. Very much, Rick. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. That is Ron Foxcroft, CEO of Fluke Transport, creator of the Fox 40 Whistle, member of the Order of Canada, former basketball referee, as you know, and also the author of 40 Ways of the Fox. You can get it at fox40shop.com on Amazon. Net proceeds from the sale of that book, and I've read it, it's great, are being donated to Liberty for Youth and City Kids. I should mention as well, the anthem on Sunday is going to be performed by Tegan Littlechief, and it will be performed in three languages, Cree, English, and French. And Tegan is only fluent in English. She's been taking classing, uh, classes and lessons uh, from a Cree teacher and a French friend. And uh, that should be an amazing experience in Regina. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It's the most wonderful time of the it certainly is. The Winter Festival of Lights in Niagara Falls is underway now. 101 nights of twinkling lights and a whole lot of fun for the entire family. It's Canada's largest and longest-running free outdoor light festival. Here to tell us about it is Janice Thompson, the president and CEO of Niagara Falls Tourism. Janice, welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. How are you? I'm terrific, Rick. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Tell us about the Winter Festival of Lights. Well, it's incredible, incredible to believe that this is the 40th anniversary of the event. For the past 40 years, Niagara Falls has celebrated winter and the holiday season with this beautiful light show. And every year it becomes just a bit longer and a bit greater and more worthwhile to get out into your cars and get down here and see it. Come spend some overnight time in Niagara Falls and enjoy all the beautiful lights. There is so much to see and do, including the new Hot Chocolate Trail. Tell us about this. Well, the Hot Chocolate Trail is getting just rave reviews from people. Uh, 17 different locations throughout the city of Niagara Falls are presenting their own individual creations. Uh, There are 23 different hot chocolates, and they're all described on our website, wfol.com. 
They're truly uh, very, very creative. And I have to say, the people who are making them, we're all having fun. Everyone's enjoying the whole process of creating the recipes and watching the surprise on people's faces as they choose their favorites. There's also a map to uh, direct you on this hot chocolate trail on the website, WFOL.com. How many people do you anticipate will take part in the Winter Festival of Lights? And what kind of economic impact does this have on Niagara Falls? Well, generally, there are approximately a million people come to the event. Now, it's, it, it's as you mentioned, it's 101 nights. So it runs from uh, now right through until Family Day, February the 20th. So it's now been extended. It's a longer period. So our numbers may, in fact, be higher than that. The economic impact is very difficult to, for us to measure. You know, there are different uh, event calculators that put it at, you know, many, many millions of dollars. But knowing that people come and stay overnight in hotels and partake of the attractions in the city and dine in the city, it's certainly a very important part of our economy for the winter period. Absolutely. Janice Thompson is the president and CEO of Niagara Falls Tourism. We're talking about the Winter Festival of Lights in Niagara Falls, which is on now. You can get lots more information online at WFOL.com. There's also cruises and helicopters um, adding to this experience? Yeah, that's the fascinating part, too. Uh, Niagara City Cruises, they're running their uh, boat tour to the falls in the evening now for this special event. You can view the, the, the fireworks, which are also on in the evening on the weekends. And uh, Niagara Helicopters is running special nighttime tours to the falls as well. And, and again, you'll be able to fully appreciate all of the lights along the way. And in addition to the fireworks, there's also a new illumination on the falls, that's been created specifically to mark the 40th anniversary. A beautiful show of lights. Uh, last time I was at the Winter Festival of Lights, I think it was about two years ago. I remember not going last year, and I really missed it. But it was sensational in terms of the light displays, the fall illuminations, the fireworks, all the different uh, restaurants and, and hotels that are offering these you know, different little uh, menu tastings or, or drinks. It's really fun for the whole family. Right, and that, as you know, is what Niagara Falls is all about. It's about fun, it's about entertainment, it's about building memories with your families. Uh, we have a wonderful sponsorship from the OPG, the Ontario Power Generation. They're sponsoring a Santa meet and greet program where you can have your photo taken with Santa. So there are all those things that appeal to families as well as people of all ages. Those that have come over the decades that it's been around, they have their long-term favorites of some of the lights. So people come and look, look for them as well. Should be a great time, Janice. Appreciate the time this morning. Good luck with the Winter Festival of Lights. Thank you so much, Rick. Have a great day. You too. That's Janice Thompson, President and CEO of Niagara Falls Tourism. Head online to WFOL.com. There's a map, there's a list of literally dozens of different places that you can go and different things that you can sample over the next uh, several weeks. Should be a fun time. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.